2 Corinthians 12, verses 5 through 10 has been the focus of what we've been studying. If you would please follow in the reading of the Word of God. On behalf of such a man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with the weaknesses, with the insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, this is an amazing text. Pray that your people will hear. I pray that there will be a joy in their hearts when they understand this even more and more as they read it for themselves. Father, as we look at our brother Paul, and we think of what a massive and powerful man for your kingdom he was, and yet, Father, how you kept him where he needed to be. Father, you covered him, you powered him, and you drove this man that even this day, He bears fruit for your name. Help us, Lord, to see the Apostle Paul and help us to bow before you as the Apostle Paul did in Christ's name. Amen. What we're doing and what we're looking at is God's use of suffering. God's use of suffering. Because there's nobody on the planet can say that there isn't suffering. There isn't anybody on the planet who can't say at some point or another they were in suffering. Or they may be in suffering. And I'm talking about trials and tribulations and heartache, emotional, spiritual, physical. And and if you're really honest with yourself, your life is either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or going into a trial. It's that simple. And I mean, you know, now listen, I want you to be real. I don't want you to be thinking something else about this. Some of it we deserve. Okay, we we have a a a a a massive ability to self afflict ourselves. Okay, so I, I, that's not what I'm talking about. Sometimes that is a purification process that the God that Lord is using. But there are other sufferings that God brings into our life, and He brings them in for His purposes. We've looked at this. Satan had asked to sift Peter. And God gave him permission. Well, you can look at Job. All right. And we, we say, wow, that's, you know, gee whiz. He was the most righteous man in the East. Now, you look, think about the Apostle Paul. He kind of was, we would call him obedient, wouldn't you? And yet to keep him from exalting himself, God gave him a thorn in the flesh, a stake in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. Okay. So what we've been looking at is that one of the things that you see in suffering, God's purposes for suffering, is that he uses that suffering 
to reveal our spiritual condition. Okay? He will, he does it so well too because he will reveal it to us individually, but he'll reveal it to all of those who labor with us so that we can all look and see. Alright, and, and one of the amazing frames that he uses here is that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. We have a tendency to toot our own horn. Okay? And we, you know, we don't want to blow it real loud, but, you know, we kind of like to say, looky here. Alright, I have seen this over and over and over, and sometimes it goes into actual bragging. All I know is that when people step into that, I try to stay out of that county that they're in. Because I, I don't want collateral damage on me. Okay, Paul says, I don't want people to say more. I don't even boast about what I do. And yet he is being forced because of the false teachers in the church in Corinth. The next thing we see in verse 7 is to keep him from exalting himself. He says it twice in the one verse, which is to make humble. To make humble. God uses suffering in our lives to humble us. He will take us to a position where you can't get any credit for it and you can't fix it and he will have your undivided attention. I remember early in my walk with Christ, I had kind of copped a little attitude for, with God. I know none of you have ever done that, but I had kind of copped me a little attitude. You know, I, I remember one time that uh, <laughs> I actually made this statement that come on down here and fight like a man. I have thought about that since those days and thought, well, that was really brilliant. Okay. I remember going to work at that time. I was in construction. I remember going to work out. I was working at building a house out east of uh, Parker. All I remember was eating lunch. And that was on a Monday. On Wednesday, I woke up, Aurora Presbyterian Hospital. And it was on Wednesday. I looked at the ceiling. You know how that fluorescent light was there? And the first thing, that first thought, thought that went through my mind is, you are not your own. You have been bought and paid for with a price. At that time, I became a type 1 diabetic. And uh, it was obvious that God wasn't playing fair. He wasn't going to listen to my argument. So I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> you know, uh, no attitude toward God. <laughs> okay, so I made a note of that and I keep it handy. Why? He will keep you humble thing that we looked at last week in verse 8. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Okay? Who did he go to when he was dealing with this thorn in his flesh? The Lord. He went three times. Right? Three times. See, if you're really honest with yourselves, okay, if you're really honest with yourself, when you get yourself into a bit of a pickle... How often do you try to fix it? Okay. Now, if you get a great big pickle, then you tend to be a little quicker of, Lord, this is out of my league. But if it's a small one, we tend to say, well, I can, I can adjust some things and make this work. If I had a thorn in my flesh, which was a messenger from Satan, 
I would say that's out of my league. Okay, you know what is amazing about this? In this day and age, I noted that Paul didn't cast the demon out. He didn't bind the demon. He asked the Lord to remove it. Fascinating, don't you think? Because we are in a day and an age where man is... Uh, a dear friend of mine who is in glory made the comment, never has the church been as haughty as she is today. And the Apostle Paul was the antithesis of haughty. And yet I watch pastors and lay people all want to arm wrestle demons. And I'm thinking if the Apostle Paul didn't want to do it, I don't want no part of it. Okay? Which brings me... To point four. But as I was going through this, and I understood in the context of the letter, Paul is showing his apostolic credentials. Okay, this is why I am an apostle. Okay, and one of the greatest proofs of Paul's apostleship was his suffering. If you remember, we've already looked at the physical suffering that he endured, shipwreck, um, Jews trying to kill him, Gentiles trying to kill him. Thieves and in the city and out of the city and all of stoned and left for dead and beaten with rods and beaten with whips and all the rest of it. And then he adds into the spiritual conflict of it. And it was through this suffering because one of the things that false teachers do not like is suffering. And when suffering comes, then they will adjust their message or their method or their technique so that they don't offend anybody so that they won't have to suffer. This next text, uh, there's a phrase in this verse 9 that just jumps out. Okay? And I want to dwell on it a little bit. Alright? It says right there, My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. Okay? The word grace is used 155 times in the New Testament. If it's used that many times, what do you think? Might be an urgency in that thing? Uh, an emphasis on that thing? Karyos is the word in the Greek. Okay, It literally means, in uh, one of the word study books that I was looking at, a favor bestowed. Okay? It has in a mind the mindset of a generous gift given. Okay? That's its very common meaning of karyos. Okay? But in the New Testament, grace is always used in regards of redemption. Redemption. A favor bestowed in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ is a very serious, generous gift. It is given by God to people who are totally undeserving and totally unworthy. It is God's favor. It is God's goodness. It is God's generosity. It is on display. He provides it to those who are absolutely Unworthy. And if you really think about it, someone to stand in the very presence of God who is worthy. 
Okay, now we'll all easily say none, but watch what the evangelical community and Christians in particular have done to the word grace. Uh, I was, Al and I had a f- friend that we knew and I would run into him occasionally and he would say, could you pray that God would give me more grace? Okay. I have seen people in illness asking for more grace. All right. And you know what I've learned is the average Christian, I am saved by faith through grace. Right. Unmerited favor. We, we all have it. Well, I know what the meaning is, but I don't think that the average Christian really understands grace. I mean, it's a generous gift bestowed. That's what the Greek dictionary says it is. But let me tell you something about grace. For a believer, it starts at salvation. Do you know that when it starts at salvation, it only goes on forever? Through the ages to come, it will show us the riches of his kindness in his grace towards us. That's what Ephesians tells us. When you deal with theologians, they will give you two types of grace. And theologians come up with really cool words like general grace or common grace. And then there is uncommon grace. And you wonder why these guys get paid so much. But anyway, common grace. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Common grace. Right? Unless you're in California. Then the rain don't fall. Okay, but other than that, the just and the unjust. Alright? God gives breath of life to who? Anything that's alive. That's common grace. God gives joys of life to who? Okay? God gives the beauty of life to who? All of us. That is common grace. Okay? But there is a different grace. An uncommon grace. And that grace saves us. So you go from a common grace because you're alive to an uncommon grace. Okay? Uncommon grace is the forgiveness of all sins. God does not forgive the sins of the unregenerate, the unredeemed, or the lost. To his people, he does. In the forgiveness of all of those sins, okay, he's forgiven you of sins you haven't even committed yet. He's already forgiven you for them. When that happens, do we understand that all the blessings of God in the heavenlies are poured upon us? I want you to understand this for a second. They're not coming. They're here.
The grace of sanctification. The grace of holiness is sanctification. The grace of glorification has already been bestowed upon those who believe. God is generous to undeserving sinners because of His grace. And He is amazingly generous to those who are in Christ. And it is from the time of their salvation forever and ever. Okay? So I want you to start thinking about that a little bit. Because we get caught up in the mundane. We get caught up in the grind. We get caught up. It's too hot. Oh, it's too cold. It might snow. It might, wind might blow. Oh my gosh, I was eaten by a mosquito. And we get all of this going on in our heads. And all of a sudden, we completely forget. Do you understand that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies? Because of His Grace. Do you understand the dynamics of His grace? He gives us everything we need. That is His grace. If you have a job today, it is His grace. Okay? You have a place to live, it is His grace. If you have a spouse or if you have children or grandchildren or whatever, it is his grace. His grace saves us. His grace keeps us. His grace enables us. His grace delivers us. His grace sanctifies us. His grace glorifies us. Listen, we were... And even today, some are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2. Okay? But I guarantee you that the bulk of Christendom today don't understand that that's just the beginning of God's grace. I've been listening to all of these Supreme Court rulings, and it is amazing how my grandfather, rest his soul, was so right It is better to be silent and thought stupid than open your mouth and remove all doubt. Because I am not troubled by it. I am not worried about it. I could care less because, well, part of it is for about the last 30 days, I've been studying grace. And the Supreme Court does not have grace over me. And I'm not worried about it. But it's, it's amazing how we can kind of get ourselves twisted up. That grace that God gave us at the moment of our salvation only expands through all of eternity. That's all. Other than that, you might need some more. Every benefit in life, every benefit in eternity is all by God's grace. The redemptive part of grace only comes to those who know Jesus Christ. Listen, I want to make sure you get that. Who know Jesus Christ. Who have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. These are the only ones. I have seen people who can spout theology. I have seen people who do fine things. 
who do not know Jesus Christ. They do not understand his uncommon grace. And now you can see it in their lives. You can see it in their lives. Those who know Jesus Christ have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That is just the beginning of the tasting of God's absolute abundant grace. From there, it expands through all eternity. Every benefit in life is by God's grace. Every benefit in eternity is by God's grace. It is all by grace. Have you ever heard this statement? Why would this all-loving God allow disease? You know what they missed? Why would an all-holy God not strike you dead the moment you said something like that? You know why? His grace. His grace. It is a very special thing. It is, the, as the theologians would say, it is an uncommon grace. It is an eternal grace. When we think of the Christian faith, we can sum it up in one word. Grace. Covers the whole thing. No word better describes the Christian faith than grace. Grace. The message of our faith sets us apart from every other religion. Why? Because our God is gracious. All of the other gods, I don't care what you call it. I don't care what you want to make it. I don't care what you define it. All right. They are all have some kind of attaining of salvation of human achievement of some type. Ours is the only religion of grace. Ours is a faith of a massive concept. Because we understand that we deserve nothing. We deserve nothing. Yet, God gives us everything because of His goodness. And it demonstrates His grace. All other religions don't do that. Okay, let me show you some things. I guess that's an in introduction, maybe not. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, John describing the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father. How did he know it was the glory of the Father? Full of grace and truth. See, God incarnate is Jesus Christ. So it shouldn't surprise us if he is full of grace. God is grace and God is a God of grace. So God incarnate would be a God full of, full of grace. Two verses later, verse 16, for of this fullness, 
We have all received and grace upon grace. See, this is an attribute of God. Grace. We have grace upon grace. God is is, is Christ full of grace because God is grace. Therefore, those who are in Christ are what? Full of grace. When Christ comes into our lives, we receive grace upon grace. Those of us who know God through faith in Christ Jesus receive an outpouring of God's continual blessing and favor. And it comes because of grace. Grace grows. Grace accumulates. It's massive. Moment by moment, every breath you take is God's grace. All of our lives, even into eternity, we will have to endure God's grace. Let me give you some verses. And you can go look at these. I'm not going to read them all. I got one I want to jump up and down on because I think I think it's awesome. But I got a few more. In Acts chapter 4, the early birth of the church, verse 33, early Christians were experiencing an abundance of grace. Now think about it because the Jews hated them. And these all came in at Pentecost, remember? The church went from about Somewhere between 150 to 500. And all of a sudden, Peter opened up his big mouth and we got 15,000 minimum. Okay? And none of them have a job. Okay? Because you couldn't send them back to Cyprus because there's no church in Cyprus. So they have to stay here. And yet God gave them an abundance of grace. In Romans chapter 5, verse 2, it says that we... Because of justification, we stand in grace. There is an environment that a believer lives in. And it is an environment of grace. Um, One author I read says, grace is the air we breathe. That's pretty cool. That's why God has smart guys around. Romans chapter 5, verse 17, we have received an abundance of grace. An abundance of grace. Chapters 1 and 2 of the letter to the Ephesian church speaks of the riches of His grace. And I mean, it takes two chapters. And then you still have to back away from it and go, huh, abundance. Even James, James chapter 4, verse 16 Whatever the great need that we have, God gives us greater grace. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Peter speaks of the manifold grace of God. That word manifold has turned into one of my most favorite in all of Scripture because it can be many-colored or many faceted. So, me and my great intellect, 
I conclude it this way. God is not skimpy with his grace. Okay? He has given us grace for salvation. He has given us grace for sanctification. He has given us grace for service. And guess what? He's even given us grace for suffering. I'm hoping you're seeing a a picture here. That God has given plenty of grace. You may not appreciate it, but he's still given it. His kindness abounds in every aspect of our lives throughout eternity. Listen, this goodness, the goodness of God's heart to be this gracious is completely different than the gods of false teachers. Okay? Gods of the false teachers, at best, are indifferent. They could care less. But they all must be appeased. You must do something to garner their favor. But not our Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus is full of grace and He comes to live in our lives. And He pours upon us grace upon grace upon grace. And you know what is really bizarre about it? None of us ever did a thing to deserve any of it. Now listen, I want to take you back to 2 Corinthians. Remember in this letter the heartache the Apostle Paul has for the church in Corinth. I mean, this is the fourth letter he's written. He's had two trips and one was completely disastrous. And these people have literally ripped the heart out of the Apostle Paul. I mean, remember, he was so depressed at what they were doing that a door was opened him for the gospel in Troas and he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. That's how sick he was about all of this. Yet, yet, in spite of that, that church is hurting him that greatly. The greatest summary of God's pouring forth of his grace is in this letter. We touched on it some time ago, but I want to go back to it. It is the probably, I would argue, the greatest single statement on the sufficiency of God's grace. Okay? Verse 8 of chapter 9. And God is able. Okay? I like that. God is able. God has enough power. God is capable, meaning God can't be stopped in this. So God is able. God is able. All right, that's cool. God is able. We all look around at each other and say, God is able. He can do this. Nothing can stop him. But then this verse is full of superlatives. Okay, I just heard that word somewhere. I don't know what it means. But I think it means no loopholes. It's superlatives. Look what he says. God is able 
to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now, if you ever wanted to memorize a verse, that's the one. That's the one. God is able. And then look at the superlatives. The average Christian should be overwhelmed by what he reads in that verse. Okay, look at all of the alls. To make all grace abound to you. Now think about it. All grace, he could have stopped. All grace to you. All right. But he says, God makes all grace abound to you. Abound to you. You know what that means, right? You can't handle it. God has an ability to pour enough grace to flat out wash you away. Okay? Now think, I want you to think about this. Because you guys, we all deal with stuff. You know, I'm dealing with hail damage. Love hail damage. I'm insured. But gee, many crickets. I didn't realize that, you know, I should just go buy another car, house, whatever. And it's just a pain in the... Is it just me or does it seem like nothing gets done easily anymore? Okay? But I keep thinking about this. God is able to make all grace abound to you. I will wash you away with grace. I will overflow you. But look what it says. So that always having all sufficiency. <laughs> I remember that kid, he said, you just need to pray, God, give me more grace. Well, dude, you're already abounding in it. And always having all sufficiency. All the grace available. To those who believe. Now, you know, you can listen to me preach this. You can go home this afternoon and read it. But it will take God's grace for you to believe it. But I ain't worried about that because he's made all grace abound to you. So that always having all sufficiency in what? Everything. I only have sufficiency in everything. That's all. I only have sufficiency in everything. Why? Because God is able to make all grace abound to you, always having all sufficiency in everything. Paul is jacked up. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. This letter is a man with a broken heart. And yet he writes this. This church crushed him. This church hurt him. And he says, yet, church who hurt me, God is able to make all grace abound to you and always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. An abundance. Grace. Listen. It was God's grace that you believed. 
It was God's grace that removed your sin. It was God's grace that applied the righteousness of Christ to the believers. It is God's grace that allows you and I to understand scriptures. It is God's grace that allows the word to be applied to our lives. It is God's grace that we overcome temptation. It is God's grace that we can triumph over any and all sin. It is God's grace that we can endure suffering. It is God's grace that we can endure disappointment. That we can endure pain. That we can endure sorrow. Those are all God's grace. It is God's grace that we can obey the Lord. It is God's grace that we can hear Him. We can be sensitive to Him. It is God's grace that we can serve Him effectively and powerfully. It is God's grace that we can worship Him in truth and in spirit. Verse 14 of that chapter. They also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing Grace of God where? In you. In you. Thanks be to God and His indescribable gift. You think? The surpassing grace of God in you. Now remember who this church is. What a bunch of knuckleheads. I mean, they perverted spiritual gifts. Uh, they get drunk at the Lord's table. The rich come to the potluck early because they don't have to work. And they eat all the food and leave the leftovers for the guys who had to work. And they come in later. They stand up in the middle of the worship service. And some people will speak in a tongue. Some people will prophesy. It was absolute chaos that Paul says, you know what, guys? When the lost people come in, they think you're nuts. And yet he tells them that you have a suppressing grace of God in you. They were buying the doctrine of demons. And yet they have surpassing greatness. Because Paul understood that God is able to make all grace abound to you. That always having all sufficiency in everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed. When they became believers... The floodgates of heaven opened and grace was poured over them and they were washed away in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had grace for everything and was flooding over each of us and will continue to flood over each of us forever and ever and ever. Amen. There was a uh, songwriter. Actually, wasn't a songwriter. He wanted to write a song about grace. Okay, how do you get an adjective to define God's grace? Okay, now I would have used phantasmagorical. Okay, but what I've learned is is phantasmagorical is hard to rhyme. So he used amazing. Amazing. So I'm setting the stage for next week because I want you to think about something. There was a thorn 
a stake in the Apostle Paul's flesh to a messenger from Satan tormenting him. Tormenting him. And he asked God three times, imploring him, remove it. You know what God said? My grace is sufficient. And all I can say is, Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for grace and its sufficiency. Father, I pray for all of us today that we will step back just a little bit and rethink our view of your grace. Help us, Lord. Because amazing don't cover it. It is abundant. It is eternal. It is gracious. And it is all for us. Thank you, my King, my Lord, my Savior, for your grace. Amen.